1998 version with uh, Ferris Bueller. Yeah. I don't know why that one's not in the canon. <laughs> Wait, Ferris Bueller? Are there any other Godzilla movies in the canon? I sure as hell hope not. I don't think so. There can't be. No, no. That's impossible. So <laughs> <laughs> I... If it was, I actually, I'll quit. I actually have <laughs> a, a funny story about other Godzilla movies. So I recently got into collecting physical media and I was going through like a list of, you know, all of the classic movies that I wanted to own that I should own, like all my favorite movies and, and stuff like that. And just going through and buying uh, mostly like 4k Blu-rays because I had just purchased like a PS five and a TV that has all of the proper, you know, fixtures for watching 4K HDR movies, uh, super HD, all, all that stuff. And I'm going through and buying a bunch of movies and I see Godzilla is available to buy at Best Buy. So I'm like, of course I'm buying Godzilla. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. Of course I want to have Godzilla in 4K. And a box of all the DVDs come and I realize that I accidentally purchased the 2014 version of Godzilla, not the original version. And no. I was, <laughs> I was pretty upset. And then I rewatched it and I was like, actually this movie's kind of red. So yeah. I screwed I like up. But what was that? I like the remakes. I like these new ones. The, this yeah. new monster verse has been pretty good actually. Oh, They're I hated pretty- I hated the second two. I hated the, what was it? Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, I liked movie. Kong versus Godzilla because it was so nutty. Godzilla, King of the Monsters and, and Godzilla versus Kong. I, yeah, I loved those two because they were, they reminded me of like high sci era Godzilla movies because they were just full of all that crazy kind of crap that, that mm-hmm. you would find in a 80s Godzilla, 80s and 90s Godzilla movie. So it was. Yeah, I love those too. So um, I'm I'm in for what is it? Go- Kong X Godzilla is the next one coming out. So I think so. I think that's what oh, there's called. another one. There's another one coming. <laughs> nice. The disappointment, uh, palpable in Raph's voice. I think I'm probably in the minority in disliking these newer. I really like 14, but the other two and the the King Kong movie. The King Kong movie is like a little bit a little funnier to me but king of the monsters and godzilla or kong versus godzilla or godzilla versus kong whatever it's called i was i was totally out on unfortunately hmm. which sucks because i feel like a lot of people had fun with it and i, I guess i was just being a sourpuss uh, i mean totally it. they're they're very different from the 2014 one because the 2014 yeah. one harkens back to the original Godzilla a bit more as far as having a kind of elegiac tone. I don't even know mm-hmm. if you said that word right, but then the other two are are a little bit more in the you know monster wrestling vein. Like I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I feel like you could take parts of 2014 and parts of King of the Monsters and make one really, really good movie. Yeah. Like, I, can see I, that. I, I think it was just like, I think 14, that was the Aaron Taylor Johnson story that I was less invested in. But then at the same time, even with 
Millie Bobby Brown. I was I was less invested in hers in the second one because the whole time I'm just like, your mom sucks. <laughs> <laughs> She's the worst. And but I think with Kong versus Godzilla, I was just like, whatever. You guys are gonna go batshit here, so it's cool. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Godzilla '98 came up recently. I think in our Jurassic Park episode because. It was one of my recommendations, sort of a tongue in cheek recommendation. Mm -hmm. That movie is so bad. It's good. Some of the Matthew Broderick does some of the worst acting I've ever seen. And (laughs) I freaking love it. (laughs) (laughs) When he sees. Yeah. yeah, When he sees his ex in the, and what is in like the coffee shop or in the store or something that is just some of the worst line reading that has ever happened and it is so amazing. It is it's Sorry, a terrible movie, but I no, it's a terrible movie, but I I love it too. It, and if it, I am of the opinion that if it wasn't a Godzilla movie, if they didn't call it Godzilla, it would have done way, way better and we'd have a much better opinion of it. If they just said mm-hmm. this is a big budget remake of Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, then it works way better. So Yeah. Yeah, I guess just tie in the Godzilla name. It's also aggressively 1998. That was the other soundtrack. Nine yards. Yeah, the soundtrack, all of the marketing tie-ins, just aggressively late 90s. The 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 kind of almost bad redesign. Like it was like there was so much stuff about the redesign that was unnecessary. Yeah, you know, and then the the babies. I was like, oh, good lord. I definitely did have a Godzilla 98 action figure growing up though. So at least I got that out of it. Yeah. I vaguely remember there was a cartoon based on that as well. There was, there was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One of the, what can't he do? The only thing I remember from the cartoon is that the main character was voiced by one of the main cast members from 90210. That's I don't know, remember random. which one, but Ian's hearing. Yes. <laughs> wow, yes, I just it was. <laughs> That's awesome. It's funny because I would only remembered his name only because just recently we've been my wife's been watching reruns on Pluto TV, and I keep Ooh. walking in and I'm like, oh, I gotta leave the room now. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Yeah, but so good. But- so we are gathered here today to talk, of course, not about 2014 Godzilla or 1998 Godzilla or any of the what seems like thousands of sequels and spinoffs and whatnot from the 70s and 80s. We're here, gentlemen, today to talk about the OG original Godzilla uh, 1954. I'm blanking on the name of the director unfortunately but we will get back to it but bob is back two weeks in a row and we've got the one and only alvarez who we haven't seen since the very first episode of the canon gentlemen welcome back how are we doing how's life ready to talk some giant lizard stuff yeah always ready to talk giant lizard stuff (laughs) but yeah life is good life is good talking to you guys is good yeah, nothing's nothing's changed on my end. Everything's solid, good, staying busy, 
had Love family in town for a wedding last week. It was a long week, but it's now a new week. Now we're here. Yes. So giant lizards, it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's nothing like decompressing after a long wedding week, like talking about giant lizards. I think we can we can all agree on that. If I had my in-laws here and I was doing this podcast at the same time, just the hilarity that we, what are you talking about? <laughs> Godzilla. Godzilla. What's a Godzilla? You know. <laughs> I think this is a first for the Canon podcast. So Bob, you did the write up for Godzilla on the website, right? Yes. Yep. And I believe Alvarez and I, both did the write-up or we did some contributing little write-ups yeah, that's right. for your piece. So I think this is the first time that we have all three contributors to a, a written version of the canon now doing a audio version of the canon for the same movie. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I, I have to look now, but did you do a blurb for the birds? I did not. Okay. So I did no. not. Uh, RJ did so this close. Yeah. So this, we were close. We were almost there, but this is, uh, this is exciting stuff. I think what's funny about that is that before we started recording, all three of us were all like, yeah, I'd feel very unprepared for this episode. So it's funny that we've all experienced talking about Godzilla in some way, shape or form together before um but now that we're doing it into microphones none of us feel like we are capable of uh <laughs> of speaking about it in the best way possible but that's totally fine even though we feel that way you know i think listener you're still in good hands you got two very smart guys you also have me so we'll get through it we'll have a good conversation about godzilla and it'll be a great time i did not write a blurb for godzilla it's it true. Actually, it was yeah. it was I monsoon I'm again. It was monsoon. Oh man! Well, well that changes I, everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I commented somewhere on the site saying I had just watched it because I know Bob and I went back and forth about the roar because that's mm-hmm. why I kind of slapped that on for a second. There, I was like, "Oh, let me find that YouTube clip because it really is like that is the best opening to a movie." I love that that's that so I can good. imagine. I mean, and I'm talking about over the last 50 years. That is just an outstanding opening. It's just that roar, that that thump and the roar. It's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I love that that roar is is basically the the. Uh, uh, oh my God, my brain is is uh, not working today. But it, it, uh, Akira Ikafuvi, who did the the soundtrack, there we go was like kept hearing all of the versions of the roar that they were doing and hated it. So he basically mm-hmm. just went and did it himself and created this iconic sound that they're still using in every Godzilla movie today. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's how it's, that's actually kind of cool. I didn't know he did it himself. Yeah. It's like a when you say glove. did it himself, do you know how he did it? I, I'm going to screw it up, but it's, it's basically he used a leather glove and like a, a, not a cello, but some, some heavy uh, stringed instrument and just kind of ran his hand down the strings until he got the right 
timber that he wanted and then messed around with the echo a little bit. And that's, that's basically it. That's amazing. I mean, that roar is, if you're going most iconic sounds in movie history, like is the Godzilla roar, it's got to be right up there, right? Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. It's, yeah. I mean, I can think of a few other sounds from other movies that come close, but that's got to be number one. Yeah. It's it's so insanely singular, and like even people who have never seen Godzilla, they they know exactly what that is when they hear it. I'm on a YouTube page with a 39 second clip of the, all the roars from the <laughs> 1954 movie, right? So it's just funny to he- see people's comments underneath. Like at nine seconds, it's my favorite. At 17 seconds, it's my favorite. 21. <laughs> Everybody's got their their favorite like version of the roar throughout the mm-hmm. movie, and I'm like, this is this is hysterical. Yeah. Um, because you know, there's slight variations in there, sure, but like. All in all, I mean, they're all pretty goddamn terrifying. It's it's hysterical. Thirteen and eighteen seconds are my favorite. Like this is just the funniest thing to roll through. <laughs> How many times now do you have to watch a, that video to know which one is your favorite? Yeah, I, I, I see a, a scene from High Fidelity where they're actually talking about Godzilla roars instead of you know what the, what the best version. Of, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> I think we might have to make that a clip. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's the opening sound. Yeah. I Yeah, uh, I don't know I don't know where to start with this movie. So, I think while I was rewatching Godzilla for this episode, I was thinking about you know like what our purpose hit per, what our purpose is here at the canon. We're talking about the most essential movies of all time and that doesn't always mean that we just want to sit down and talk about the movie itself. And I think that this sort of logic applies to Godzilla. Like we don't need to just sit here and talk about what makes the film Godzilla so great. This movie has influenced so much of the film industry over the last, what, 70 years, close to 80 years, or is it more? Am I, is my mouth off? I think we just uh, did. I think we just had the 65th anniversary, like three or four years ago. So yeah, it's approaching the so 70th. Yeah, reaching reaching its its 70th year in history, and for 50, 60 plus years that it's been around, its influence has been felt in like every corner of not only movies but just media at large. So I think that we will have a lot to talk about in that regard while not necessarily needing to spend a lot of time with the movie itself. And I feel like that'll be interesting for us and for for listeners because everyone is familiar with Godzilla, but not everyone has seen Godzilla necessarily. Like I think if you were to poll a hundred modern, you know, movie fans the number of people who have actually seen Godzilla would be like frighteningly low. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And like, like Al told this story about watching Godzilla for the first time before we started recording. And I have my, my experience with 
seeing the original Godzilla is very, very similar in that I had seen the, the America, the King of the Monsters version with, with Raymond Burr, like dozens of times. I think they ran Mm -hmm. it, you know, like every Saturday on TBS in the eighties for, (laughs) for uh, whatever reason. And, and so I didn't even see that the regular version until, I don't know, like late 1990s. I ran across a DVD that had both, you know, mm-hmm. and it was one of the, back when they used to save money by putting a movie on one side of the DVD and then you flipped it. Oh yeah. And the, another movie was on the other side. So that was, yeah. And I was, yeah. Astonished at how different the tone of the movie is. And, and, uh, and uh, it actually got me into watching Godzilla movies in general and none of them, as we've, I, I think we've already talked about, are are as good as this one mm-hmm. is, but it was it was definitely a a doorway into a into a larger world. Yeah, because I don't even think I saw the original one first. I'm pretty sure, like I saw like Mechagodzilla or you know any one of the other verses, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and, Godzilla versus some other large monster, right? And they always seemed. I mean, they, they were campy and they were silly. And you go back to the the original 54 version without Raymond Burr and you're like, damn, that's pretty serious. Like, it's a, it's a very different tone. And I'm kind of amazed how it shifted over the years to almost that slap, no, I don't want to say slapsticky, but like, it just it just seemed ham-fisted, you know? Like, it just it was odd. Yeah. You know? At the same time, I still really liked them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the interesting thing about this, I guess we have to call it a franchise, but it it seems like so much more than just a film franchise. But either way, it, it's really cool that the world, the universe of Godzilla can, like you said, exist as both like this original 54 version where it's this really serious look at war and nuclear weapons and humanity and humanity's destruction of like the natural world. But then also you can just have these like really campy fun movies with guys in silly suits and like mini city sets that they're, they're destroying while fighting and like both really work. (laughs) And you can come to this again, this franchise, this universe, you can come to it for either one of those things or both of those things. I actually, I didn't see Godzilla for the first time until I want to say 2020. I think it was height of the pandemic. My roommates and I, you know, we had nothing to do on a Friday night. So we ordered a bunch of bottles of sake and we're like, let's finally watch the original Godzilla movie. And we watched that. And then we watched one of the, you know, campy sequels where Godzilla fights a you know, another giant monster and we loved both movies and like, you can enjoy it even in the same sitting. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. No, that's totally true. It is. It's one of those ones. It could have completely different tones, but you're like, it's still just, it's just fun. Cause you know what? Giant monsters are cool. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 there's not much else you can say. Yeah. You know? Another interesting uh, point that we can get into is the fact that, you know, giant monster movies sort of are all birthed from Godzilla. You know, we had King Kong came out, I think, 20 years before this. 
but in terms of like monster movies, you know, obviously kaiju movies, but an, an entire genre was like was birthed from this movie. I don't know if you, either of you guys have um, any specific like histories about how all of that sort of came to be after Godzilla or just like thoughts on that genre as a whole and how it all gets traced back to Godzilla. But I did want to bring that point up. Didn't it tie into um, like the atom bomb that was really like impetus for the, the Godzilla movies in the first place? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's well, you, you have, you know, the, the producer, Tamayuki Tanaka. I don't know if I've got that right, but he, he had been make it, going to make a, a film in Indonesia and, and it like fell through. He had all this money and cast and all this stuff ready to, ready to go. And he was like, well, what am I, the hell am I going to do now? What's, what's a big movie that I can, you know, what's a movie that I can make? What's popular? And they had just re-released King Kong in Japan. And it had made more money in that re-release than the previous three releases combined. And on top of that, the previous year had the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms had also done like a huge, huge uh, business in Japan. So he was already thinking giant monster. And then the newspaper on the the airplane. This is the story anyway. The newspaper on the airplane on his way back from Indonesia had the story about. Lucky Dragon Number Five, which is the boat, uh, Japanese fishing boat that was irradiated by uh, the Castle Bravo explosion, which was the hydrogen bomb that that went big, like was like two and a half times the size that it was supposed to be, and they ended up sailing right through the fallout zone, and nobody knew how bad that was until at well after they'd got back to Japan and sold fish into this, into the fish markets. So this was a huge thing in Japan and it was only two years after the occupation had, had kind of left and censorship had loosened so they could even talk about radiation and atomic bombs and all this stuff. So they, Japan was like, this is the second atomic bombing of Japan. And it was a huge huge thing. So he just combined those two things, this, this kind of nascent giant monster genre that, that had kind of started. And then this fear of atomic radiation and, you know, the same year this was 1954 was when them came out in, in the United States. So we were starting to have that sort of, interest in giant creatures radiation as well. So it just seemed like kind of a zeitgeist moment where they hit it exactly right. And, Can you tell uh, us what them is, is about, is about a little bit? I'm, sure. Uh, them yeah. is, is about uh, uh, giant ants that are, that are uh, created by uh, underground atomic tests in the, in the Southwest desert. Oh, and, of course. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the uh, one of the first and one of the best of the the nineteen uh, fifties giant monster U.S. version movies. So. Mm-hmm. I love that movie too. That's another one. It's, I remember that being on like it was probably well, Raph, you'll know this WPIX. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, um, it's where I watch all I, my Mets games. 
Yeah. And I was like, I just swear it was like, it was on all the time. And I like, I loved it. Um, and actually it was funny because that was probably going to be one of the ones I would have picked later, but I, I have options now. So it's good because it was like, that was another one. It was just like, it's, it's kind of like, it's terrifying because ants are pretty gross looking. They're hideous. Like <laughs> when you see them up close and you're like, Ugh. and then they're giant. It makes it makes it even worse. Yeah. And yeah. there's, multiples of them yes as opposed to just one godzilla yeah yes i did really answer your question though so (laughs) my question yeah because you were like well how did godzilla lead into this giant monster It, it it totally i think you guys did answer the question and bringing up them pops into my mind another question or area of conversation that i was hoping that uh that I could ask you guys about. So I feel like all of the American fifties movies about sort of like nuclear fallout and the effects of all of that, I feel like they're not seen in sort of the same regard as a movie like Godzilla uh, that I feel like, and again, I haven't really seen a lot of them, so I can't really speak to it that much, but I feel like Godzilla is really taking a serious look at like the repercussions of all of that stuff and our complacency. It what well, I mean, it's not even complacency. It's just like straight up responsibility for, you know, th- these awful things that have happened in the world. So I was wondering uh, as, you know, as folks who have actually seen movies like them and, uh, and some of those other flicks, uh, would you guys agree that, that like, am I making a fair assessment or, is that not totally correct in terms of like how movies were dealing with what we saw at the end of world war two, Bob, I'll kick it to you first. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think part of the, part of the issue is that the, there was a sort of repressed interest in stories about what had happened during world war two in Japan, because because there had been the American occupation and there had been quite a bit of severe censorship over uh, what you could say, what you could show. And like, I think some of the people that worked on Godzilla were like technically war criminals as far as like they were filmmakers who had been engaged in the propaganda, making propaganda films. So they were technically mm-hmm. not even supposed to be making movies. Mm-hmm. But like Godzilla is like the third or fourth film that's, that was even allowed to to discuss atomic weapons directly. Mm-hmm. And so there was this, I, I feel like there was this repressed need on the part of the uh, Japanese public to, to kind of engage with this really complicated set of emotions and, and experiences because they were both, you know, I, I, I feel like a, the Japanese in that moment probably felt a little bit like Godzilla because they were both monsters because of things that, that, that they had done as a, as a nation during world war two, but they were also mm-hmm. victims because they were also the only country that had been the, you know, had a nuclear bomb dropped on. Them. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla was like this expression of these two aspects of the Japanese psyche, you know, mm-hmm. the, People in the theater have just watched their entire, like Tokyo basically gets flattened by, by Godzilla and then Godzilla gets killed. 
and people burst into tears in the movie theater because of the wow. death of this enormous. So I feel like there was, there's, there was a lot of emotion involved in both the making of this film and the experiencing of this film. And then mm-hmm. the United States version of it is, yes, we have some concerns about the atomic bomb, but we can't really criticize the military. So we're going to criticize scientists, but we're also just going to try and make some money because they, they, a lot of that stuff was really just, Oh, oh, people are, people like uh, mutant movies. Let's uh, let's go ahead and make uh, people like giant ants. Let's do giant uh, praying mantises. Yeah, that that'll do it. (laughs) We find a way to make, light of everything i think you know japan you're right they did they went in with a very serious tone a very serious thought about it all and Mm -hmm. we turned around and made it a joke yeah it just doesn't seem like sorry keep going i was gonna say that's what we do you know we just (laughs) we, we try to like soften it a little bit so we don't look like the bad guys yeah it just seems like there wasn't an interest in uh, post post World War Two, U.S. at least to sort of reconcile with our role in, you know, what happened during World War Two. I think you see a lot of obviously you see a whole lot of European art that is really reflecting on what happened and everyone's role in it. You see a lot of Japanese art that is trying to understand, reconcile with, come out of what happened in that war. It's just weird. It's just, to me, it doesn't at least seem like, uh, like there's a whole lot of like thoughtful art, at least American movies that came out of, uh, that came out of that post-war period. It was just like, yeah, that war was crazy. Let's make some epic freaking movies. And like, everyone will make a zillion bucks. That might be a bit of an unfair assessment, but that's just sort of, uh, like a general feel that, that I get. And I think it's interesting, like in Japan, in the same year, you had Godzilla and Seven Samurai come out in the same year. And like those two movies are dealing with the fallout from the war in like Godzilla's doing it in a very obvious overt way and Seven Samurai's doing it in maybe a little bit more of a subtle way. But those are also two of like the greatest movies ever made. And this country that not even 10 years prior had for the first and only time you know, nuclear weapons used against it. Uh, they end up producing two of the greatest pieces of art ever made one in Godzilla that again, like kind of birthed an entire subgenre of film, which is just insane to think. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty damn good point. I was like, yeah. wait, seven samurai was the same year. I just, for some reason I feel yeah. like it's even older than that, but it's not, you're right. Yeah. 54 just a, yeah. a wild year for japanese filmmaking yeah. and it's yeah, you're right it's two of the two of the best films made yeah i, I don't think it's any uh coincidence that ashira honda who's the director of godzilla was was one of uh kurosawa's right hand men as far as making films he 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 was like a second unit director and and did cinematography mm-hmm. and all kinds of things for Kurosawa and Kurosawa always loved Godzilla movies as well. So, imagine if Kurosawa made a Godzilla movie. 
Oh, oh good boy. <laughs> Godzilla versus uh versus some samurai. You got you got Mufune as a samurai taking on a Godzilla monster. That <laughs> he would somehow be gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> Giant samurai versus Godzilla. Someone make it happen. Actually, maybe not. Our time has passed. Um Cool. Do you guys want to get into the actual movie a little bit? We've talked a lot of, about sort of the history leading up to it and, you know, history that it's sort of left behind. But there is also an actual movie in here that's pretty darn good movie that we should probably talk about. Let's do it. Let's get into it. So I guess the the easiest place to start is just, I know, Alvarez, you talked about the the roar, the scream, the I don't even know what you would call that from Godzilla. We talked about the that sound effect um, and just how like lasting that is. But are there any other sort of aspects or elements of this movie that really stuck stuck out to either of you, either during your first watch or upon any rewatches? And Alvarez, uh, I'll let you go first on on this one. Oh, it's a terrible move. You should never let me go first. Um, <laughs> you know, it, since I said I was really unprepared, I can't say, I can't think of anything that stands out other than the fact that, like, well, you know, Raymond Burr stood out for me as a kid the most. And I'm like, God, it's just, and it's hard to get him out of your mind sometimes. Even when you go back and you watch the original, you're like, what, why, why did this happen? You know, and I was like, I know why we did it, but I, just the, the the production of it alone. I mean, I think is pretty fantastic. Yes, it's a guy in a suit. We all mm-hmm. knew that, but it looks real. I mean, the the design of that creature is one of the best things I've you know put on film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a cool. I think it's a cool story because it's not just like oh, Godzilla is here to destroy us. Like it's there's there's at least like a a build to it and why it's happening. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think we kind of reinvented the wheel, like, you know, with the remakes and stuff like that over the years, but you know, it, it's, it was just something simple, you know, which I kind of, I think I liked about it too. It didn't try to like over explain like a lot of movies do these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just angry monster uh, yeah. is mad attack city. Things go That's wrong. It. It yeah. comes out, you know, uh, it's, it, there's never, uh, uh, there's not always a, a crazy explanation for everything and be like, this, this is because of this. It's like, yeah, there was an earthquake. Mm-hmm. He was down there. This happened because of a bomb going off, blah, 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 done. Like that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great shout. And going back to the like production design stuff, the, the design of the monster is absolutely incredible. The fact that it's just a guy in a suit, which obviously in 54, you know, that's sort of the only way to make that happen. I remember there's there's like one scene in particular when I, I think Godzilla is attacking at night and there are all those people on the train and it's cutting back and forth between the train and Godzilla. And you're like, oh, that's just a miniature train set. And then it cuts back to a guy in a suit in like on a set of a mini city that he's destroying and all of it feels so real mm-hmm. uh like how did they do that that's insane <laughs> it's it's movie magic at its best it really really is mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, there's so many other movies that have come, you know, after it that have done pretty good, you know, like they've, they've made those, those adjustments, but then there's also a bunch of stuff that you're like, wow, that just looks crappy. You know, it wasn't any like faux green screen or, you know, stop motion. Like it, it, they just kind of played with, you know, aspect ratio and it was, it was awesome. Yeah. 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 Bob, and they, like wanted, jump in they, as well. they wanted to do stop motion too, though. No kidding. They, oh yeah. The, the guy who did the special effects was uh, EJ Subaraya and, and he like brought a budget to, to the producer with this is how much it's going to cost to do, to do stop motion for this film. And they laughed him out of the office. <laughs> So he's like, well, crap, I can't do stop motion. What do I, I guess I got to do a guy in a suit. And so, and, and that's key to what makes Godzilla work. The suitmation process is, is, you know, just completely identifiable with Godzilla and it mm-hmm. works great. And it was something that they were forced to do, not what they wanted to do. I do have to yeah. point out, we were talking about, you know, individual elements. And I, I think you were, thinking about what are some great moments in the movie that stand out. I'm going to ding the movie for one, one scene. And it's the Uh first time we see Godzilla, unfortunately, when they're on the Island and it's been, you know, a great thing where they've kind of already identified Godzilla with a force of nature. Like you can see the, the destruction in the, the village looks like a, a typhoon hit it except for the giant mm-hmm. footsteps you can see in the long shot. But then they, they hear the noise of the footsteps and everybody's heading up the, the mountain to see what it is. And then the Godzilla head comes over and it's, mm-hmm. they had like three different Godzilla heads and one of them was a puppet and it was the puppet head. And I, I do have to say the first time I saw it, I laughed out loud <laughs> because it's kind of goofy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I kind, kind of agree. Cross-eyed? Yes. <laughs> it does look a little cross-eyed. Uh, it, I think it looks a little cross-eyed. Yeah. And I always thought yeah. if they just never showed it to us, like if they showed the reaction of the, the people and then they showed this, the footsteps and the tail sweep after that, they, that they actually show mm-hmm. after people get to the top, that it would have been so much more effective than Muppet Godzilla. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. How, yeah, how scary could a monster be if you're like it doesn't even know which way it, which way it's looking? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also that that could have been a more effective way to tell the story to 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 not show the face at that point because it is still relatively early in the in the film, and I guess we hadn't. I mean, I don't want to give Jaws all the credit for for doing this, but there is something to the effectiveness of of not showing your monster right away and. I, I feel like I remember Bob the first time I watched the movie that I was I was thinking, you know, there's no way that they're gonna show actual Godzilla at this point in the movie. Like it's far too right. early for us to see it. But I think that's more of a that might just be a more modern film watchers sensibilities uh being at play in, in that moment. Yeah, I think you're right. And and Lord um, knows how it was reacted to back then. It may have been People may have screamed when it came over the hill and it's just the J. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that scared the crap out of people. I think something that this movie does that I feel like a lot of monster movies to follow also do 
is uh it's just like really effective to to shoot a lot of these scenes at night not only is nighttime scarier but you can sort of hide a lot of the imperfections in uh and like your your design and and your effects when you set those scenes at night so like the train like the miniature train set that i was talking about it's it's easier to make that look a little bit more believable when you have more shadows and darkness surrounding it as opposed to just like in the middle of the day sun's out same same with this with the with the actual godzilla suit yeah i agree i agree and that whole six like i think it's like 16 minutes that final attack on on tokyo by godzilla is all at night yeah. it's all lit from below and there's fire everywhere mm-hmm. and smoke everywhere and yeah that's it's so well done. Yeah, oh. It makes it so much more menacing, you know, because mm-hmm. you were like, you, you actually feel like you're, you know, you're down below looking up and the only thing that's lighting this, however many hundred foot creature is, is the fires and, and stuff that's starting because he's toppling, you know, buildings and shit. And you're just like, Oh my God, we're going to die. We're all going to die. How amazing is the effect uh, of Godzilla's like spine lighting up before it does. Is it, is it fire breath or is it something else that's happening there? It's supposed What's to be that? radiation. Like, uh, like uh, Subarayu was, I think it was Subarayu. It might've been Honda that was kind of obsessed with trying to get radiation visible on screen because, you know, radiation mm-hmm. is such an insidious and invisible killer. And everybody mm-hmm. knew people who had been affected by it. And he's like, I need to, to be able to visualize it on screen. And he, like, this is a, you know, an interesting metaphor that he's trying to put in there that there's radiation is coming from this thing that was created by radiation. And, and uh, what it ends up being is a, a spray can stuffed in a puppet's mouth. And they just <laughs> shoot that. And it works. It works great. Yeah. That's amazing. That's it totally wonderful. works. That bit with the, the scales is one of the few moments of actual animation that they they do. Going back to the fact that they originally wanted to do stop motion for this and the uh, the designer being left out of the room, The it, it's kind of interesting because you don't get like you do get a lot of Godzilla, but you still don't get all that much Godzilla. And I don't know if that is more of a narrative choice or more so a necessity based on how they were filming all of those Godzilla scenes. But I was curious as to what you guys thought about how much actual Godzilla there is in this movie. I, I mean, I'm sure it was definitely out of necess- necessity and I, I don't think it needs more, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm in I'm in that camp. I mean, Jaws, you said it before. It's like, the less you show it, the scarier it is. So, you know, all, all you need to see is, you know, a couple of cool shots of the, the radiation, Godzilla doing a scream, and most of the time it's his feet, and you're like, yeah, I'm terrified. <laughs> um, if, if you do any more than that, I mean, even the 2014, people complained that there wasn't enough Godzilla, and because he was in it, what, like, 10 minutes tops. Yeah. You know, and 
it doesn't need it. I don't, I don't think it needed it. Cause you know that you're going to get more of them in these other movies. You know, it's like, let it build into something and let it be. Cause it's like, let them, let them get their, their, you know, their feet wet, figure out how they're going to do it, do it as minimally as possible. And then they go, oh, okay, now we can know we can do this, this, and this next time around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 37 monster movies later, you have all <laughs> the Godzilla you want. Yeah. And I think there's a technique, like you said, there's a technical aspect to it in that these these suits, especially the early Godzilla suits, were so freaking heavy. They actually went out of their way to oh, hire yeah. people that were known for their strength. Like the guy who was primarily in it, Haruo Nakajima, I think his name was, like famously mm-hmm. passed out after like 10 minutes in the suit, the first suit. And they they ended up taking that suit, cutting it in half, and so the top half is all the shots of Godzilla in the water. And the mm-hmm. bottom half is all the shots of Godzilla stomping on things. And then oh. they and they built a much lighter suit that he could actually be in for more than 10 minutes at a time. And he would still end up with blisters. And, and uh, uh, they, I think the, one of the things was that at the end of every day, they would pour like a quart of his own sweat out of the suit. Oh my God. Cause because they had to shoot him and I'm sorry, I'm over, over specifying on technical details, but, but they had no, to no, shoot. No, this is exactly Godzilla. what we want. They had to shoot all the Godzilla scenes at a higher rate of speed because otherwise he looks too fast. He doesn't look like a big lumbering monster. Hmm. So they, and in order to shoot at a higher speed, you have to have, so they shot at twice the speed you have to have the cameras at twice the intensity. Mm-hmm. So it was just boiling hot on those sound stages. So yeah. yeah, they had to keep those things to a minimum. And, and in the end it works so well because you, you have that big scene, the big uh, scene where, where he destroys Tokyo and it's kind of exciting and it's very exciting and, and distressing but it's nowhere near as distressing as the moments that come immediately after that when you go into the buildings where the victims are and there are kids yeah. with radiation burns and and you know that's a that's a gut punch that hits you in a, in a deeper place than all of the big tail smashing buildings yeah the big tail smashing buildings is fun though and as great as all of those scenes of Godzilla uh, destruction are, and Bob, like you said, the the real gut punches when you get to the shots of the families and in, inside and stuff. That reminded me that I did also want to get to the humans in this movie and the the human characters. Uh, you know, this movie is about Godzilla, and Godzilla is the name. I won't say protagonist, but the name, the name on the marquee, right? But sort of in the same vein as Godzilla, like not being in this movie that much, and Godzilla not needing to be in this movie anymore. The re- one of the reasons that we're able to do that is because the actual characters are so great, they are so interesting, they are they are so well acted. So I figured we should take a couple of minutes to talk about them in particular. I just wanted to give. A quick shout out to Takashi Shimura, who is, I forgot his name, but he plays one of the, I think one of the scientists and yeah. 
if you don't know who I'm talking about, he is the dude who was in like, just think of any great Japanese movie that you have seen from like the late forties to like the late sixties. He's probably in it. He's the, he's the old dude in Ikiru. He's the old samurai in seven samurai. The dude is in every classic and he's just the best. But that being said, Al, what did you think of all the characters? Do you have a favorite one? What did you sort of think about like their stories and their dynamics and, and everything going on with them? I don't have a favorite character. I mean, Godzilla is the, the favorite character. I, you know, <laughs> I, the humans, they're there. I mean, I don't think any of them are bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I, I just don't care, right? I'm like, it's, it, yeah, whatever. They're there. It's They, they have their, their, their parts, but... It's, I want to see Godzilla, and I want I want the Godzilla to do things. They're, they're reacting to everything, but I didn't really have a, a a favorite character. It's I guess it's something I probably should pay attention to more. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just <laughs> it's a terrible answer. I thought I thought, no. I thought you would have one. That's fine, Bob. Do you feel the same way about the characters, or no? I, did you actually, like the, I, the story that was going on on the on the ground level? We'll say the first time that I watched it. I think I was in the same boat as I'm, I'm here for the big G and, and all of the destroyed buildings I can get. But the last couple of times that I've watched it, I I've appreciated uh, e- even though Takashi Shimura is an important part of it. And, and he's like one of the first of the, we have to study it. We can't kill it. Sort of, sort of scientists that we get to see in, in, uh, in a mm-hmm. movie. It's it's weirdly the love triangle between like uh, Sarazawa, the scientist who creates the, mm-hmm. the oxygen destroyer, Emiko and Hideo, that gets me because it's a struggle between what what the human heart wants and what duty demands, and it mm-hmm. it to me that's that's the struggle that that Japan was going through at that point in time and, and a, a mirror of that struggle that they, they were coming off of a duty demands. We do these horrible non-human things and we want to be good human beings. And how do we reconcile the fact that we are a, a, a society that has done both? And mm-hmm. so to me that though that particular relationship and also the struggle that, that Sarazawa has with, I've created, you know, essentially the new atomic weapon and mm-hmm. I've already seen what atomic weapons were used for. It's like, you know, if Oppenheimer had been able to take all the plans for the atomic bomb with him, you know, yeah. that's the choice that he makes. So he chooses in the end to me, he chooses duty and humanity. Yeah, uh, when he basically sacrifices himself so nobody can use it again. So I have I have two follow up questions on that because I love everything that you're. I'm picking up everything that you're putting down on on this little love triangle. Can we also say that it is a bit of a struggle between science and military with the what it, Ogata character and Sarazawa? in terms of like Amico is sort of stuck between the two of them and not sure which way to go. And it kind of goes back to like, should we be mad at the military for 
you know, making us make these things in the purpose of bloodshed? Or should we be mad at the scientists who actually use their brains to create this, this sort of thing? Right. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting because of course, by this point in time, uh, the, the military in Japan has been relegated to the, the national defense forces. They can't do any aggressive acts at all. And in Mm -hmm. fact, portrayal of them, you know, like by this point, the portraying them in war movies means that you have to show the losing side of a war. Your, your main characters are the the losers. And then Hmm. if you do future ones, you can't do aggressive stuff. So they can't be like the winners in that sort of angle either. So this was like a movie that they were like, Oh, thank God we can actually show the military in a relatively positive light because they're the ones that are taking on Godzilla. They're the ones that are trying to, you know, set up the, the uh, ring of tanks. And, and so they, they were actually mm-hmm. able to use them in a positive way. I think the, the sub theme to this is very similar to Shin Godzilla, although Shin Godzilla went way, way into it mm-hmm. is about the, the leaders are kind the ones that got us into this. So I, yeah. I think it might be less military and more bureaucracy. That's the bad guy in that. Yeah. In that sense. hundred percent sneak, sneak peek, but that's, that might be one of my recommendations later. So the other, uh, the other point that you brought up that I wanted to circle back on, and this sort of circles back to something we were talking about earlier, but I think it really hits the point home. The Serizawa character who creates the oxygen destroyer and then you know after he eliminates godzilla he essentially sacrifices himself because he's so ashamed of of what he did and his and his role in all of it and i i still think that the fact that a japanese movie at this point in time is showing so much more remorse than anything i've seen out of american movies in regards to the subject when the Americans were the actual ones to use the bombs. Right. And there's like nothing that shows like a national remorse for, for what happened. It's just like, yeah, whatever we did that. Now we're going to go test more bombs because maybe the Russians will also make some. And it's just like this really weird, uh, just like this really weird sort of look at like two different societies and how their their art reflects like where the 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 society at large like where their their hearts and minds are and i think to me that remains more so than monster movies and the history of all of that i think that to me remains the most interesting part of godzilla and its lasting legacy that's a pretty good point too it's like you know they they, they know how to honor their honor and we know how to America. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's not until the year, you know, 2023 that we're finally getting a movie that is maybe about some remorse for the atomic bomb in Oppenheimer and it's being made by a Brit, (laughs) you know, but this is like, (laughs) this is the first time that the U S is at least it like American, like Hollywood cinema is sort of like, yeah, maybe it's something that worthwhile for us to talk about. Maybe we fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we'll just yeah. blame this one guy. We won't even say that all of us fucked up. We're just going to put all the blame on this one. Guy. Also, you know, and I, I, those 1950s monster movies were all pretty much like the military had won us World War II against actual evil. So mm-hmm. we can't criticize them. So yeah. but we got to criticize somebody. And hey, that guy in the lab suit, that egghead looks like he's shifty. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. want to do all kinds of crazy stuff with that nuclear thing. Let's ring up those nerds. Yep. <laughs> those nerds in the lab coats. And here, the nerd in the lab coat essentially saves the day. Yeah. You yep. know? It's, yeah. It's absolutely wild. Uh, another thing that I that I thought was pretty interesting, this is totally unrelated, just a, a complete aside, but while we're talking about uh, Sarazawa and that that end scene, I I don't know if this is true, but while I was rewatching, I was thinking to myself and I was wondering, is this maybe one of the earliest instances of like underwater photography? I don't know if you guys know, Good question. but yeah. it seems it, it seems to me like it would have to be. One was Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, that's what, what year I was that? That's 55, is it? So no, so it's years. okay. Well, I, now we got to look it up. So. Yeah, that's, no, a, that's it was the same year. Same year? Yeah, same year. 1954. Oh. So there must have been some sort of new technology that was out. Because, like, that's insane. That in the yeah. 50s, they found a way to, sh- like, shoot images underwater. Yeah. Like, now, you know... It, it seems like a whatever thing, like, you know, you can take your phone underwater and, yep. and shoot something there. <laughs> yeah. But like, these are like giant cameras with film that they, with like actual film reels that they had to, you know, somehow find a way to, to make sure that it wasn't getting ruined in the water and taking it down, watching these guys like in their scuba suits, try to kill Godzilla. It, it's, it's bonkers. And I was, cause I was like, Oh, do they had it? they have underwater sequences in the beast from 20,000 fathoms. And I'm like, no, that's still like the bathosphere is just basically on a, on a set with smoke and that's their underwater <laughs> scene. So yeah. Yeah, you may have something there. That's um, pretty interesting. Yeah. Just like, you know, it's not like this movie is, uh, is one of a kind in, you know, any other ways it also needs to, to be one of the first movies to feature underwater photography. Like, you know, it, it wasn't enough to, to completely revolutionize film in every other sense. It also had to take that. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're onto something here. Cause uh, they're saying that the first uh, full length underwater documentary was also released in 1954. So there must've been some kind of, some kind of like breakthrough technology in the technology. Yeah. Yeah. It says, I'm reading that the first commercial use of underwater film in a silent adaptation of Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in 1916. But that may not be full length. Right. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Something for us to uh, go down the deep uh, internet. I'm sure there's a YouTube documentary on it somewhere yeah of course we'll, we'll ask uh, james cameron he has to know <laughs> <There you go. laughs> he's got he's got to know something one other thing that i have in my notes that we should definitely talk about sure. another thing that like okay yeah this movie has so much else that it's doing but also the freaking score is 
phenomenal. Outstanding. It's a fantastic score. Agreed. Yeah. And it's not something you think about because it's not, I mean, there's so many other things that you know from Godzilla. It's not like, it's not like Rocky where the theme music is like so much of that film's identity is tied up in that, you know, with this movie, the identity is tied up in the screech, the, the actual monster design, all of that stuff that you don't even think about how great the score is until you're actually rewatching it. Yeah. And the fact that they continue to reuse bits of it in it, almost every Godzilla movie, American or, or Japanese is indicative of just how iconic that, that score is. And I guess if it could be considered it his greatest score ever. So he, he made a lot of film scores after that, but mm-hmm. that's, that's the one that he always uh, went back to as far as his, his favorite. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's absolutely incredible. So Godzilla, what else do you guys have? Uh, any, anything else that I, that I may have missed that you guys wanted to, uh, to talk through? Let's see. <laughs> no, we've covered a lot of stuff. I mean, but I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just a classic. It's timeless. Like you can mm-hmm. watch it now and you still get sucked into it. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though I'm, I'm not all, you know, like I don't didn't even with the new movies, I don't care about the human characters. I'm like, <laughs> and I know Godzilla's only going to be in it for six minutes, but it's still like, I just, I just want that, you know? Yeah. But you can watch that movie at any time and just be like, damn, cause it's a, it's a, an epic film in, you know, movie history. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, uh, I, the only thing I wanted to, well, I guess I got a couple of things, but the, the one big thing is a lot of people kind of put down the Americanized version, the King of the Monsters version. Mm-hmm. But I actually, I, I really enjoy that movie and, and it really streamlines the plot a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an American version. So they cut out all of the stuff about the atomic bomb and the, and the Americans that's at the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> uh, and it's all through, through the lens of an American who's kind of watching this stuff all unfold. But the re you know, back then, if you wanted a, a movie to die in the theaters, you put it out subtitled. If you wanted movie to make money, then you actually took the time and effort to, to have it dubbed and to re-edit it in a way that would work better for American audiences. So mm-hmm. despite the fact that over time, we've kind of gotten to the point where, yeah, dubbing is the cheap way of handling a foreign film and subtitles mm-hmm. are the appropriate way. Back at this time, that was actually a sign of belief in how well the movie could do that. They actually took the time and effort to, to do that. And the big, the big issue is that it did so well in America that they released King of the Monsters in Japan uh, and, and, and did it with subtitles and because they'd hacked the movie up quite a bit, but they never replaced the Japanese. It makes no sense. If you're watching the movie in oh in and in, in Japanese, everything's all out of order. You don't know what people are saying or what they're referring to. So that's funny. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny you said that, like being like, "Oh yeah, we're going to intercut it from the lens of you know this American guy," and I'm like, I feel like it's the 
the original version of like, you know, Fast and Furious where they retcon stuff and you're like, hey, guess what? Han's not dead. <laughs> you know, you're like, and you see these scenes that happen, you're like, did that really happen? Okay, you're just showing it from this different angle. And I'm like, it'd be kind of funny to like intermix both movies together and make one long one. Yep, that would be. I, I got to admit, I've never seen this uh, American version, but I might watch it when we're done recording here. It's, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. And, and Raymond Burr really loved this movie too, which is, which endears him to me in part because it was like the first role that he'd gotten that where he was kind of the hero character. Cause he like coming off of like rear window where he's, mm-hmm. he's the, the murderer and he played heavies and stuff like that. But he loved it so much that he even came back and reprised the role in Godzilla 1985 or uh, the return of Godzilla. So unfortunately There's- not something you can find in the U S. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. They released a Blu-ray of, of the original Japanese version of Godzilla in 1985. Uh, but you can't get the version with uh, Raymond Burr in it anymore. So. Huh. Interesting. Oh, and one other minor, minor yeah. thing, and it's and sadly it's not as cool as it would have been had it worked out. But earlier this year, I got contacted by a guy who was who's doing the cover design for the University of Minnesota Press release of the not the original novelizations of Godzilla and Godzilla Raids Again, which were which were done by the original screenplay writer which I have written down here somewhere, but I can't find it. Oh, Shigeru Koyama. So this is the first time that they're going to be available in the United States. They were thought lost and they're the first translation. So anyway, the designer contacted me in February, like had seen the illustration that I'd done for monster sketch Monday on, on screen age and was like, would you be open to me using this as part of the cover? For this, nice. I'm looking at that image right now, <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, yes, please, absolutely." But I just, I just heard from him recently that they decided to go with a more uh, uh, painterly look for the cover. Yeah. So they're lost. Doesn't Ooh, work yes. out. But I'm still gonna pick up that book because I want to read that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's insane how, like, I, I feel like this movie more than any other movie has fully created like a full ecosystem of media and like offshoots and stuff that just no other single movie can, can touch in terms of just the sheer number of related and then, you know, sort of uh, not directly tied in, but just other sort of outshoots of, uh, of projects that, that come from this. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, do I have uh, a action figure of Godzilla uh, to my left wearing a gold chain from, I think, probably a Mr. T-Doll? Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Is Godzilla Japan's number one export? Like more than Toyota's? (laughs) I hope so. Yeah, it's got to be up there. It it feels three movies, not counting the U.S. versions. Cartoons. Oh my God. Did you ever watch the original 1970s cartoon? No. Godzilla? Cartoon? What's that? I don't, I don't remember there being a 70s cartoon. Oh yeah. 
Oh, there was a, there was absolutely, and it had the most excruciating but catchy theme song, uh, which I'm not gonna look it up on YouTube because it's 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 super uh, super catchy, and uh, and very 1970s cartoons. Oh, you know what? This looks familiar. I'll have to see if I can find the. Uh sound the score the, the opening song somewhere that's funny yeah. I, if I find it on youtube like, i'll, oh, I'll yeah. post it yeah that's funny the the other thing that i will say regarding the lasting legacy is as much as it has sucked the whole transition from hbo max to just max how infuriating the whole thing has been uh they still have kept a lot of the tcm uh turner classic movies content that they had which is sort of it's essentially just criterion channel light so they've kept a lot of that stuff and like 20 plus godzilla movies are available to watch (laughs) on what is now max so for anyone listening there are the original godzilla is there you can watch you can then watch tons of the sequels you can watch some of the american versions there there's so much godzilla related content uh, to consume and Max still has a lot of it. I was never a huge fan of the Showa era, goofy, goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't end up picking up the criterion big collection of all the Showa era films. Yeah. That's what I should have picked up instead of accidentally buying Godzilla 2014. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you still have that to look forward to now. Yeah. More money to spend, but more money to spend. Yeah, buying physical media is great, and everyone should do it because it's a better way to watch. And with these streaming services, a lot of things can be wiped off the face of the earth, and that's not good. So it's cool to own the things that you like physically in your own collection, so that you know that it will remain forever. I agree. I've got, I've, I have all of the high side and millennial era Godzilla films downstairs. I love it. Gentlemen, should we, should we get into recommendations or do we have any, anything else to say on Godzilla proper man in suit? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what man in suit the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that was the real Godzilla. no, there are also men in suits. Like I, I don't have I don't have the, the brain capacity to actually put this together, but there's there could be some sort of meta thing that you put together, some reading about a guy in a suit versus men in suits, but recommendations. What do we say? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. I feel like we should have made a rule that no that nothing with Godzilla in the title can be allowed as a recommendation for this, but well, we didn't. We didn't. It's too late so to change the rules. It's too late to change the rules. <laughs> let's let's get into the recommendations that we do have. I does anyone want to start? Anyone want to volunteer to go first? You should start first. You always have everybody else start first. Oh wow, Bob flipping the tables on me. There you <laughs> go. Nice. Okay, let's do it. Why not? I'll go first. 
I will with my first, I'm going to go with a very obvious choice for my first recommendation. It doesn't have Godzilla in the title, but it may as well have Godzilla in the title. I am unironically really into this movie. It's one of those movies that not everyone loves, but I will cape up for it. If you listen to our Rocky episode, you will hear that I am a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. And that's a movie that I will go to bat for any day of the week. Another movie I kind of feel in the same realm, definitely a thousand percent influenced by Godzilla. I will go to bat for it any day of the week, mostly because it features 17 years by Ratatat. I'm of course talking about uh, Cloverfield. I love, I love that, that movie. movie. I, I love, love that movie, movie too. Awesome. I'm glad we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah. Cloverfield. And I think that gets better over every time you watch it. Yeah. It does. I just watched it like not that long ago. I was catching scenes and I was like, man, this movie's good. I know yeah. it's a shtick with the, the, the handheld camera stuff, but it worked and it worked really, really well for that movie. Yeah. It totally works for that movie. My one, my one nitpick, it's a big nitpick and sorry, I'm taking us on a totally weird tangent, but as you guys know, I live in New York city. Uh, I'm like a New Yorker all the way through. My biggest pet peeve in movies is when they have a fundamental disrespect for New York City geography and Cloverfield is a big offender in that sense. They they do a lot of things and make a lot of moves that just don't make sense in terms of New York City geography. But other than that, it's a great movie. See, I, I have the same issue with film set in Maine, so I don't <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> It's yeah, it can be annoying. Sweet. I I get I, Bob. I feel like since you're setting the order, you have to decide <laughs> who's next now. <laughs> well, I don't because because he brought up the the opportunity for us having the same film choices. I'm gonna give Alvarez the the chance to to go first, so that I have to reshuffle mine rather than okay. It. Um. Well, in a similar vein, and tying into the 2014 Godzilla, um, I'm going to pick Gareth Edwards. Is it gets Gareth Edwards, right? Uh, his Monsters movie? Yes. Oh, um, nice. I, I thought that was, again, another like nice, low-budget film. One that I actually did get into the characters the, you know, throughout the film. And the monsters are at a minimal, but just equally as terrifying. You know, I just thought that was, I was like, I could see why they gave him Godzilla to remake. 100% after watching that movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And another one, I think that it gets better as you watch it multiple times, too. I've never seen it. Should I check it out? You should definitely check it out. All right. I'll add it to you. It's amazing that he wrote that directed it and did all the special effects for it. Yep. Oh, it wow. looks, it looks so much better than that would suggest. Yeah. I mean, like if you've seen, what was it? District nine in that same vein where it's like low budget, you know, like minimal special effects, but it looks better than it should that this is one of those films. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I'm, I, I literally just added it to my list. So I'm pumped. Nice. That's a, cool. that's a good pick. Uh, Bob, the the new 
the new king of recommendations. <laughs> You're up. Let's not do that. Let's <laughs> not go back to Big Bob from the first time I was on. Big there. Bob. Yeah. Oh, good God. Uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, he left it open for me. So I'm just going to take take that shot and, and put up a film that came out the same year as Godzilla. But it's the, it's the American focus, uh, which was more about just giant animals or people. Uh, and and recommend them, which is the classic giant ant movie from Warner Brothers. It's it's way more serious than uh, the films would become after that. Uh, they actually take giant ants seriously, and there are scenes uh, that are actually extremely creepy, especially early on when they're not exactly sure what is causing all the destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an ex- ex- exceedingly well-made mutant monster film of, of the 1950s persuasion. Yeah, the ants look a little goofy. Okay, they look a lot goofy. But uh, <laughs> but it's everybody takes it seriously. And, I mean, Santa Claus from, from uh, Miracle on 34th Street is in it as a scientist. Oh, my God, I and, forgot that. Yep. And... John Aguiar, who I can't remember what else he was in. He was a big sci-fi guy as well. But it, it's well worth a shot. It's one of the few black and white movies that my niece will watch. So uh, that and uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon are the only two that she will watch. So nice. That's my recommendation. Good first pick. Good first pick. I don't like going first because I like to wait and hear what others recommend and then base my pick on on that. <laughs> so now I feel totally lost. I'm totally off my game. I'm sorry, man. All it's good. All good. Forth, it's, fun. So it's, okay. it's fun. It's fun. So, okay. I'm going to take a weird swing with my second re- recommendation. And I, I've been talking a lot about this episode about, Godzilla being a film that is about the nation of Japan sort of reconciling with its role in the end of World War II. So in a similar vein, I'm going to go with a movie that is that was made in the other main power in the axis of evil and sort of their reconciliation with what happened in the war and their role within it and sort of the fallout. Uh, of everything to come after this movie was made a little bit closer to the end of the, of the war, but still a super interesting look at all of that stuff. Sort of one of the really one of like the first looks at like postmodern film in the sense that it's like, it's, it's confused about morals and morality and, uh, and humanity and everything that we saw on this stage that was world war II. Uh, so my second pick is going to be Germany Year Zero. Pretty interesting movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have oh. never even heard of it. Yeah, it's a it's a heavy flick. It's a heavy flick. It's about Berlin. It's about a kid in Berlin, like right at the end of World War II, and just him, like his like day to day life, sort of living in that world. It's 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 heavy, but it, it's really good. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely have to look that up. I've never, I've never even heard of that. It's cool. Yeah, it's good. I think 
I think it's a, it's a good movie for people to watch. So I'm recommending it. Alvarez. Back over to you. Um, okay. Well, you know, since we kind of did bring it up before, I'm going with the original King Kong. Yeah. That's just another like great. Nice. You know, I think that's in the canon though. Original. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So Damn I it. Don't pick it. Well, I don't want to pick the Peter Jackson one because I didn't really like <laughs> I saw that in the theater and I sat next to Roger Ebert's wife. Not him. I actually sat next to his wife. He was very sick at that time, so he was up more towards the front. But um, wow. it was uh, pretty cool to know that he was there at the screening. Yeah. And I, I got out of there and I was like, it was okay. It was really yeah. long. <laughs> And I, you know what? I honestly haven't seen it since. But well, then what's what's the the '70s one with Jessica Lange? I'll go with that one. <laughs> Giggles. All of Bridges. all of the King Kongs. Yeah, because we know that one. We're gonna make it into the canon. It's yeah. not, no, it's not. I I no. actually like that one too. No, it, it's it's got that '70s, you know, uh, towering inferno, you know. Poseidon Adventure vibe to it. Um, it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's its bad, but it's good in a weird way, you know? Yep. I've never seen it. I've and it's seen. definitely like worth watching at least once, you know? Okay. Yeah, and the cinematography the is actually really, really good in that movie. The acting and, and writing, not so much, but it yeah. does look good. Yeah, that is true. Okay. And they, they, they take some liberties and make some tweaks because instead of it being, what, the Chrysler building, he's at, um, is he on top of the – is it the Trade Center? Yeah, it's the World Trade Center. Yeah. yeah, it is. So that's also a little weird to watch from being, being from New York. But Yeah. Hmm. Hey, that, that's movies. There's no yeah. way they could have known when they were making that. No, that is true. Yeah. Good pick. Yeah. Nice. I'm surprised you didn't also just throw in – the uh, the rock's not. I always want to say that the rock is in the new version of King Kong, but that's just because he has that other movie oh, about it. Rampage. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that's another one of those Stan- dollar movies that I bought at Goodwill. <laughs> that's downstairs. I haven't seen yet. It's not very good, but it's still better than like skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know about that. Actually, Skyscraper might have been better. I don't know. Is, Is it better than dude? another Wolf Cop? No. Movie? Uh, what was that, Raph? I was wondering who's in it. Is Sam Jackson in it? He's John in, C. Riley's in it, right? Yeah, in the, the new Kong the Skull new Island. One. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of cool because it's not doing like the same King Kong story. But it also would have been cool if they did that and like also made a good movie. That's another movie that has really good cinematography though. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I actually like, <laughs> really liked the King Kong, the new one, because I thought it was cool that it was in what the seventies and had that little bit of a twist to it. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting take on it. Maybe yeah. I need I like to rewatch it. Maybe I should rewatch Just- at worst, you get to see a giant gorilla go crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's always a good time. It's always a plus. And John Goodman's in it. I'll I'll give it another try. <laughs> Bob, what's your second pick? 
Okay, so I'm not straying too far from Godzilla in this. Um, I was never a big fan of this character um, when the original iterations of this character, because as goofy as Godzilla could be, this character was even goofier to me. An extremely um, goofy movie. Is that your second pick? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> How can I make that fit now? No, no, uh, no. Uh, in the late 1990s, they rebooted this character because uh, they'd rebooted Godzilla and Godzilla had done extremely well. So they decided it was time to take the giant flying turtle, friend of all children, Gamera, and they made a trilogy of movies um, that's that's packaged under the Gamera High Side trilogy name. I think that I can't remember what the actual individual movies are called now. It's like Defender of the Universe. Oh, Guardian of the Universe. I'm sorry. Attack of Legion and uh, Revenge of Iris. And it was they. The production values were uniformly much, much higher than even the Godzilla movies of the time. And the plot lines were this the the kind of super ridiculous but extremely played serious sort of plot lines. Uh, the, the most recent Godzilla movie, the Godzilla versus Kong movie, reminded me honestly of the best parts of the these Gamera movies with you know, a, a kid that has a almost psychic uh, connection to the, to the main monster and uh, secret government agencies that are uh, trying to take advantage of it. And a, a creature that, that is actually an ancient monster that fought ancient monsters in prehistory. So it's, it has a lot of echoes in the more recent uh, Godzilla movies, and it's also a ton of giant monster fun. Quite a bit gorier than than Godzilla movies tend to be. I think uh, Gamera loses an arm with a fountain of blood in it in the last movie, but uh, nice. well worth a watch if you like giant monster movies. Who doesn't love watching giant monsters beat the crap out of each other? And there's uh, an air, there's a big Arrow special release with all three films. So. Awesome. Arrow has some great DVD sale events. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like once a month, they just have massive sales. It does so, feel like that. Does. Yeah. I might be on the lookout for, uh, for that release. Awesome. I definitely look, uh, look for the arrow version. There was a mill Creek version that came out before that. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's not worth picking up. Except for a buck at Goodwill. Uh, noted. Well, only I will only be on the lookout for for Arrow versions. Sweet, awesome. It's back to me for my final pick. I, guys, this is so hard. I don't know what to do. So, I mentioned before that I was maybe going to have Shin Godzilla be one of my recommendations. I think we talked about it enough during the course of our conversation that I don't need to, to recommend it now, but I do really adore that movie. I think it's one of the best of the remakes of Godzilla that, that I've seen at least. So I'm, I'm cheating a little bit by sort of recommending that, but not really (laughs) what I am going to recommend is 
and this is going to be a bit of a stretch, but I want to do it because it's top of mind. It's a recent movie. It's out, I think, this week. It's out right now in limited release, but it will be, so when this episode drops, I think it will definitely be out nationwide at the end of the week. But I just saw the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. It is also sort of dealing with nuclear testing and things of that sort. So it's a little bit related. It's a bit of a stretch, but I just saw it. So it's top of mind. So that's going to be my final recommend. I like it. Definitely on the list. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because as you were trying to describe it without saying it, I was like, he's going with Asteroid City. Like it just like it popped in my head and I was like, huh. Because it's like as you guys both start to describe your movies, I start to like try to guess in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the fun part. Yeah. That, it is totally the fun part. That's um, great. That segues into my last pick being when Bob started talking about a movie that was rebooted in the same time as they did the American 98 Godzilla. I was thinking he was going with <laughs> Mighty <laughs> Joe Young um, because it came out in 1998 as well. Um, oh and I never, saw, I never saw that version. But I do like the 1949 version. Um, I liked that movie growing up as a kid. Again, the same thing. It was probably on WPIX. I watched it. You know, it was like I watched everything that was black and white on that channel back in the day on like Sundays. It was the best. That's awesome. Um, it's, it's, awesome. it's a little bit more wholesome. It's, yeah. it's the same same creative team or production team as King Kong 33. So, you know, they just kind of tried to tell a different giant monkey story, but it's not as giant monkey. It's more nice. realistic yeah. size, but it's a good movie. I, I liked it as a kid. It's one I haven't seen in a really long time, but it's one that I'm like, Ooh, I should rewatch that. Yeah. I yeah. Had the same feeling. I was like, Oh, when was the last time I saw that? Mm-hmm. Probably like 10 years ago, 15. Oh, gotta be like 25 for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's never for me. So I'm adding it to my list. Yeah. I love that we do this, and every time I feel like Raph's like, I never saw that. I never saw that. And I'm like, we got to get him watching all these movies. I know. There there are too many movies. There's so little time. We're, we're, we're going to be – this is our second-to-last episode of the canon for season one. So during the, during the hiatus between seasons, I think I, I will have a lot more time to to catch up on a lot of the movies that are being recommended during these segments. So. I've got them all written down. Got them all down. Got to find the time to watch them now. Good man. Uh, I love it. Bob. Yeah. Take us I, home. I, I don't like going last. So that's the last time I'll ever <laughs> uh, bring that up again. So uh, it, I'm going to go. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I always love this. I always love making the lists of things I haven't seen as well, or haven't seen in, in enough recently enough. So mighty joke. Yeah. But I'm going to go off the reservation and, and choose something that's not a movie. And nice. it's actually the only thing on my list. That's actually Godzilla related at the same time. Uh, IDW is a comic book company that has a ton of licenses for uh, various properties, including like GI Joe and transformers and X files and stuff like that. They also have, for quite a while 
now have the Godzilla license. And they got this guy named James Stokoy, S-T-O-K-O-E. He wrote and drew an entire series called Godzilla, the Half Century War. And it's basically takes a character, uh, a Lieutenant Oda Murakami, and follows him from the very first Godzilla movie as a, as a member of the National Defense Forces, from the very first Godzilla movie to the last Godzilla movie of the Showa era, which I think was like Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, maybe? Anyway, uh, and it's for, for somebody who's a Godzilla fan who has seen all these movies, it's a real treat to, to watch them from the point of view of just a, an ordinary guy who f- keeps finding himself in the path of these monsters of giant, dis- giant monsters of destruction. Um, and it really, he does a good job with the art. Um, it's, it's got mm-hmm. a definite manga feel to it, although he's not Japanese, I don't believe. And it, the angles of, of the story relating to the actual films are, are, quite fun and interesting if you're a fan so uh, well worth checking if you like comics or godzilla yeah that sound that sounds awesome very rad very 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 rad all right we'll do one last spin through uh of all of our recommendations same order so i will kick us off and i will try to remember everything that i recommended so for my list i've got three movies i'm going with cloverfield I'm going with Germany year zero and I'm going with Wes Anderson's asteroid city. Alvarez. I think you're on mute. If you're talking. Oh, I was on mute. Look at me. <laughs> I was trying to be good. Cause I was typing. Um, my three picks were the 2010 film monsters. Well, I ended up going with the 1976 version of King Kong because I can't do anything off the canon. Um, and then the 1949 Mighty Joe Young. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. Bob. Uh, I went with the classic 1954 giant bug movie, Them. Uh, the late 90s Gamera Hi-Sci trilogy. And the IDW graphic novel collection of Godzilla, The Half Century War. Awesome. Dudes, gentlemen, fellas. <laughs> we did it. Germs? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was just looking at something for monsters and mm-hmm. popped up another movie that I was like, oh, that would have been a good one too. And it, I'm sure Bob's seen it, but Troll Hunter? Oh, yes. Oh, that was a good one too. That was a good one. It was a really good one. I'm like, ooh, I might, yep. might want to change, but it's too late now. Throwing <laughs> it out there as a last minute. It's too late now. I actually really like that director. He did uh, what was the autopsy of Jane Doe as well. So. Oh, that's right. That yeah. wasn't half bad. Nope. But Troll Hunter is a very different, yes, very different, tongue in cheek giant creature film. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a good one. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Any, any parting words, anything to, to plug any upcoming articles or write-ups that you, that you guys have coming on the, 
uh, on Screen Age Wasteland or I I feel like lately we've been doing words of wisdom to end episodes, which I feel like has been pretty fun. So if you guys have any words of wisdom, drop those as well. I've got nothing. I thanks again for putting this all together, Raph. You you've been organizing this so well, but uh, yeah, I have no articles coming up. I mean, I do the weekend fallout, and I just slap those together real fast on Thursday for Friday. But I haven't had time. I've been really busy with a bunch of other stuff, so I haven't even been able to think about writing and putting anything else up lately. But Which everyone should check out weekend, weekend fallouts. Yeah, everybody should join weekend fallout. Yeah. Be good. Yeah. Yeah. If Godzilla's coming, get out of his way. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, <laughs> if you good. get a chance, listen to the uh, listen to the Blue Oyster Cult song. It's cool. Oh man, you know what we didn't we never talked about? There's like a heavy metal band. I think they're Swedish, and their name is Gojira. <laughs> I, I have a few of their albums. They're really really good. Yeah. My God! So that's going that, on the list too. Check out Go- yeah. Gojira. So. That that's a good bonus recommend. We'll leave everyone with that. Yeah, everyone, bonus ones. Yeah. Once you're done here, Excellent. throw on some Gojira albums. Yep. Have a swell that's time. Good. The only thing awesome. I got going is Muppet write ups this week because it's Muppet Week, and then next next month, uh, Sailor and I are doing the top ten. George Romero movies, which I think has been in draft form in the back end of of uh, Screen Age Wasteland since it launched. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I feel like I've seen that for for a few years now. So we're oh, I do get believe that done. it was from the site previous to Screen Age Wasteland. Oh my god! And, and I took it from there to have at some point to put up. We have a few that we just like grab the old posts and yeah. Hope to put them up. So next month, uh, readers can be on the lookout for something that has been in the works for what, like four or five years now. Yep, five. Yeah, it's like five years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Worth the wait. Definitely check it out. Oh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, continue <laughs> to to check out everything going on on the Wasteland website. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good movie conversations. Join us over there for for more good movie fun. And uh, yeah, until then, we will we will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.